Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those disconnected from Christ. And we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Oh, it's good to be here. Absolutely. But then again, I'm always here. You're always I'm just here. always. You're just not, not always there. up on stage. You're That's always right. here. If you don't know Matt, Matt works like crazy on Sunday mornings back in our kids' environment. So if you don't have a kid from birth through fifth grade, you may not ever see this face up here. Um, but he's always here. He's been with us for about ten months now, right? Yeah, about ten months. Yeah, he's been it's doing been amazing. a fantastic job. We love having him on staff. So it's awesome. But I got a story. Tell me a story. Tell it, them a story. But but it's not about a man named Jed. So, I mean, <laughs> you know. Don't everybody got that. I, that's okay, you know. All right, so a couple of weeks ago, my family and I went out to dinner one night to our favorite pizza place. Now, it had been kind of a long day. We were both trying to unwind, but we've got three kids, right? So, you know, going out to dinner with three kids and unwinding, that's, that's a task in and of itself. <laughs> And so for the past couple of years, my wife, Mary Beth, and I, we've been getting used to, to raising a little boy. So previously, we've had girls. Our oldest is Hannah. She's nine. Hadley is five. And, you know, they were kind of, you know, just very, like, girl-esque. They were nice <laughs> and sweet. They kind of had their moments. But like, this guy, Harrison, like, he's just 90 to nothing, you know? I mean, th- this guy, if... He sees something new. He wants to go bang on it to make sure that it makes a sound. If it makes a sound that he likes, he's going to bang on it even more. You know, if he, see, if he can pick something up and throw it, he'll do it. So that, that just kind of gives you a little bit of background into this story. So we sat down, and Harrison, he's going crazy. He's like trying to grab everything off the table. I mean, everything, napkins, forks, and he'll pick it up, and he'll just throw it, Right? So Mary Beth and I, we're, we're frantically trying to push everything to the other side of the table. Well, in the process of doing that, Mary Beth puts her drink on the corner. Well, by that time, it was too late. Harrison just does, what? <laughs> boom. And it just goes in the floor. Water everywhere. At least it was water, right? No sugar. Easy to clean up. Get a towel, dry mop. No big deal. The authorities come in from the back, and he's got a mop and a little sign. But the, but the mop is wet. Okay, so if you've ever tried to mop up water or anything wet with a wet mop, it no worky. Okay, so as he's sitting there, he makes a little puddle much bigger, and then he puts this yellow sign right in the middle of it. And at this point, my inner OSHA is just going crazy. I'm like, we've got slips, trips, and falls. You know, there's a major hazard in the floor here. We're in a, a space where a lot of people come through. And I'm just, I, I'm just going nuts here. And Mary Beth, every person that comes by, she's like, watch out, there's some water. And then all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see the accident. It's coming. <laughs> it's in the form, I, I kid you not, of a lady that's about 80 years old, and she's using a cane. Oh, no. All right. She's, and she's not like, you know, fashion cane here. We're really using this cane, all right? <laughs> And it happened so fast. I mean, but two seconds seemed like an eternity. Just as soon as she got to the puddle, she put her, she put her cane down and leaned on it, and then just gingerly, like, just toppled over. Oh, no. Thankfully, she wasn't hurt. Like, she, she really, it seemed like it went slow to me because I was just sitting there watching in amazement at it all. 
She just gin, ginger, gingerly just went over. Then she got picked up, everybody. She, she was fine. Everybody was fine. And then, you know, the management and other authorities from the back come in. And, you know, they're like, we got to get this thing cleaned up. So old buddy, he comes out of the back. He's got a mop. Well, guess what? It's wet. <laughs> At this point, I intervened and I said, look, buddy, we need a dry towel or a dry mop here. And it was in, in that moment, I looked at Mary Beth, I said, you know what, here goes our quiet dinner, it, it, it's done. But in that, in that moment, it was very apparent that family is messy. Yeah, I've eaten with the Popham family before. <laughs> There's Trevor nothing knows. about that story that surprises me. No. The Harrison throwing things, I've walked through where I've been sitting at my desk, and Harrison will just walk to the doorway and just chuck something. And the kid's got an arm. How old is he? Oh, yeah, he'll be two in a couple um, of weeks. Not even two. Kid's got a cannon on him, and he can throw some stuff, and he'll get his hands on it, and he will throw anything. But that story doesn't surprise me. I've eaten with their family. It is chaos. But that's what happens when you get a little even kid without Harrison, in a restaurant. Chaos, I mean, Matt throws things if Harrison's yeah. not there. It's just yeah. chaos. But family's messy. I was at a family reunion yesterday with my wife's side of the family, and it's just always interesting to see family dynamics and just understanding the, the things that take place within family. But family can be really, really messy. If I took a poll today, I believe every one of us would probably raise our hands to say, yeah, my family's got some messiness, or there's some, there's some sticky situations, or there's some, there's some relationships of people within my family that don't really get along that well, because family's messy. There's a story of a family in the Bible that all of us are really familiar with this family, whether you have been in church your entire life, or this is your first time through the doors of a church, you've probably heard of one of the members of this family. His name was Jesus. Jesus came to this earth. His story is found predominantly in the New Testament in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where it's a first, first-hand account of the life of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 1, the first 16 verses of that chapter, of that book, talk about the life and the lineage of Jesus' family members. Jesus came from a family just like you did, just like I did. But the difference between us is then Jesus came to this earth to live a perfect and blameless life, to then die for your sins and my sins, to then raise three days later from the dead, to then ascend later on to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. He died for your sins, died for my sins. But Jesus came into this earth, into a family that had mess, into a family that had situations and issues you know, most stories when they start, Matthew chapter 1 is the very beginning of the story of Jesus' life from the account of Matthew. And Jesus came into this world, into a family. And Matthew, I love how he starts this whole story of telling of Jesus' life by telling of his family lineage. You know, a lot of stories that you and I are familiar with start out with once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away, right? The fairy tales, oh, yeah. the stories, the things that we love that call us in to captivate our attention of saying, I've got to know what they're talking about. I love that Matthew starts the story of Jesus' life by laying out everybody from Abraham to Jesus that Jesus came from through his lineage almost to say, what I am about to tell you actually happened. Today, we're going to spend the next 20 or so minutes talking through some of the people that came 
from Jesus's family. It's going to be a little different sermon than you may be used to if you attend here regularly at Canton Church. But we're going to kind of popcorn back and forth, talking about some of the characters that were throughout Scripture that were in this Matthew's account of being related to Jesus. And I hope and he hopes, our hope for you today is that through this whole story, you can see that your family has messiness and it's okay. You're not the only ones. Breathe a little bit. Know that you're not the only one with a crazy uncle. Everybody's got crazy Uncle Joe. And so you, I hope, will learn today. You, I hope, will will see today that Jesus came from a really messy family. And that even though there was some mess, even though there was some scandal, some situations, God still took those situations to produce something absolutely incredible. Now, I'm so glad that you went to a family reunion yesterday. Dude, it was amazing. Did you guys talk about, you know, relatives that are far and away and just reminisced about old times? Yeah, they talked about a bunch of people that I had no idea who they were. Yeah. But I ate a lot of fried catfish. It was amazing. It was amazing. Do you remember that time you were at the family gathering and everybody was just around the fire? Yes. You know, they're talking about all the relatives that have gone on to be of the Lord and, you know... Good times passed, yes. and then all of a sudden somebody brought up great great aunt Esmeralda. Don't you know, know her, you know, and about <laughs> how she had that successful brothel on the Lower East Side of Waukegan, Definitely Illinois. Don't know her. <laughs> you you don't remember that? Well, you of course you don't because it never happened. That's why. But something really similar did happen in the story of Jesus yeah. and in his genealogy. It says in Matthew chapter one verse five that Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, let's, let's go back to the Old Testament, to Joshua chapter 2. Let's set it up. The nation of Israel has just finished wandering 40 years in the desert. They're about to go into Canaan and possess the promised land, the place where God had called them to be. So Joshua gets his people together, and he sends two guys out to get the lay of the land, see what's going on, and he especially wanted to check the state of the affairs in the city-state of Jericho. Then the Bible tells us at the end of Joshua chapter 2, or at Joshua chapter 2 verse 1, it says, So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Now I'm going to let you chew on that one just for a minute. <laughs> you know, while we, while, while we get our bearings on what exactly is going on right here. Well, we know this. We know that Rahab is a prostitute in a culture that champions sacral prostitution. And that just means that when they would go to the temple and worship their gods, they would, you know, do, do things to worship their god. And, you know, that would supposedly ensure that a bountiful harvest would come. We also know that word of this ragtag group of Israelite nomad warriors has reached the southern borders of Canaan. They know about how God came and rescued them at the Red Sea. They knew of two decisive victories that the Israelites had over Sihon, king of the Ammonites, and Og, king of Bashan. These were giant-type men, kind of like Goliath. We also knew that the king of Jericho knew that the two spies were in Rahab's house. He had dispatched a couple of guys to go get them. And when they get to the house and talk to Rahab, Rahab's got a choice here. She can either give them up, you know, the next day they would be interrogated, drawn and quartered, and Rahab would be loyal to king and city-state. 
or she could protect the spies. Mm. Well, she decided to protect the spies. You know, she told the other guys some, you know, weird story and said, go this way. But she, in the meantime, she had hid these Hebrew spies on the roof underneath some wet flax. If you want to know what wet flax smells like, if you know, if you've ever been around hay that's been wet for about seven days, imagine laying <laughs> underneath that. So, and, and in that, before she went to bed that night, Rahab went to the spies and told them, this is why I have saved you. Joshua 2, 9 and 11, it says that know that the Lord God has given you this land and that great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. The Lord your God is God in heaven and on earth below. And the only thing that she asked of the two spies is that when they come in and destroy the city, because she knew that that was going to happen, was that her and her family would be saved. And that's exactly what happened. They came in, you know, Jericho marched around seven times. Toot, toot, you know, walls came down. Toot, toot, yes. I watched Thomas the Tank Engine too much. I'm sorry. So walls came down. Her and her family are saved. The Bible goes on to tell us, Matthew chapter 1, that Rahab is the great, great, great grandmother of King David. Mm. You know, I think that we can glean several things from the story of Rahab here. The most important in my mind being that God is constantly drawing us to Him. There is no end to His love. He's always trying to redeem us. No matter what we're doing, no matter where we're at, we could be in the darkest night of our soul or knee-deep in the worst sin. The arms of His love are reaching out and beckoning us to come into a relationship with Him so He can establish us on a strong and firm foundation so that His purposes can be accomplished in our life. Now, I think that we all can relate yeah. to Rahab. That was incredible. That's... You know that that's the map pop authorized, authorized way to uh, you know amazing. pronounce her name. Yeah. Hey, another person, a really famous person in this lineage of Jesus that again most of us have probably heard of, is a guy named David. David in the Old Testament. There is a lot written about King David. David grew up the son of a farmer. He grew up taking care of his father's sheep, and David grew up in this house taking care of these sheep, fighting lions and tigers and bears, oh my. oh my. David's the same guy who went, killed Goliath, same guy who, a guy came in, a prophet of God, he came into his house. He came into the house to then name David, to nominate him, to bless him, to put him in as the next king of Israel. David then went on to become king and was an incredible king. To this day, thousands of years later, he is still known as a man after God's own heart. It's the perfect candidate. If Jesus could pick anybody to be in his family tree, to giant killer, to guy after his father's own heart, to king, to warrior, to champion, it's the perfect candidate. It's the perfect person to be in Jesus' family tree, except there was a problem. See, there was a night that David was up on the rooftop of his house and he looks out and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. And he has somebody call for her and they come and she ends up being pregnant. He then has her husband killed to cover up the mistake. He then brings her in, marries her to again cover up the mistake. It's a scandal. It's a scandalous situation. 
Rahab comes, or not Rahab, not Rahab. <laughs> that was the last story. Not Rahab, Bathsheba. Bathsheba came in, lived in the house. They had this son. They got married. And then that son dies. They end up having another son, naming him Solomon. And this is what Matthew chapter 1 Verse 6 says about the family line of Jesus when it's talking about David. And it says, And Jesse, the father of King David, it was Jesse's father, they had David. David was the father of Solomon. And then I love how it says who she, who his mother was, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Ouch. Doesn't call her by her name, doesn't say Bathsheba, doesn't just leave her out of the story altogether. But in this moment of saying, hey, don't forget, this is in Jesus' family tree. This happened. Don't forget the messiness. Don't forget that this was a scandal. Uriah got murdered to cover this up so that the line of Jesus, the heritage that he came from, would go through this sticky situation. It's a mess. Imagine the king of this country having a woman, having an affair, then having her husband murdered to cover it up, bringing her in, marrying her to again cover it up. That child dies. They have another child. And through God's love, through his forgiveness, God continues to still use David, continues to still use this family to say, I'm going to bring salvation to this earth through this messy situation, through this scandal, through this moment of infidelity, through this moment of, of everything not being as it should be, God says, I'm going to use that. David, don't worry. I know you messed up. I know you screwed up big time. But David, don't worry. I'm still going to use you. David, don't worry. Thousands of years later, you're still going to be known as a man after my heart. You messed up. And what I love about this story Yes, it connects to Jesus and, and his family lineage and the redemption of that. But I love the, the meat of this story and how in my life I mess up. I'm not perfect. If you're perfect, I'd love to meet you after service. Never met a perfect person except for my wife. <laughs> See what I did there? See what I did there? But in this story, it's a story of redemption. It's a story of God saying, I know you're not perfect, but I love you, and I still have a plan for your life. You know, I love the fact that David, even though David messed up, the Bible is clear. It says he was a man after God's own heart. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, David had some grandsons that were not so much after God's <laughs> own heart. Yeah. You know, one of these guys is Ahaz. You know, he's mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. He's in Jesus' line there. And the Bible just doesn't have anything good to say about this guy at all. Mm -mm. As a matter of fact, 2 Chronicles uh, 1-2 says this about Ahaz. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. And he, re he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. He did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord as his ancestor David had done. Instead, he followed the example of the kings of Israel. 
No, the Bible goes on to say that this guy made metal castings of the god Baal, the local Canaanite deity. He even sacrificed his sons in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, or the valley of Ben-Hinnom, uh, to uh, the god Baal and the uh, regional Ammonite god Molech. They would sacrifice infant children in fire. The Bible mm. says they would pass through the fire. That's what that's referring to. And he also built altars to false gods all over Jerusalem and all over the, the whole reason, region. This guy was like the poster child for the rebellious youth. You know, his dad, Jotham, he was a good enough guy. He really tried to do what God wanted him to do. But the people, they were just enthralled with this pagan wor worship. And when it was Ahaz's turn to reign, he was like all full bore into what the world was doing. You know, and at the time, there was a lot of upheaval going on um, in that region. I say you, you might be a little confused because I mentioned that Israel was a little bit di different than Jerusalem at that time. Well, uh, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel were separate. It, they were, it was uh, in two parts as a kingdom. If you want to know more of that, go to the Bible. I really don't have time to develop, you know, what's going on geopolitically in 8th century B.C. Palestine <laughs> right now. But suffice it to say, just follow me here. You know, a couple of these nations really had it out for Ahaz. The Edomites, the Philistines, Israel and Syria, they attacked Judah several times. Jerusalem is in Judah. Uh, history lesson for the day, and they besieged it. A lot of people died, you know, but what sums up the story of Ahaz is found in Isaiah chapter 7. And go, go read it. I'm just going to summarize it here. Isaiah came to Ahaz. Jerusalem is under siege by Israel and Syria at this time. Ahaz has, has sent a delegation of people to Tilgath Pileser, who is the king of Assyria, to try to form an alliance to get this siege out of town. Isaiah comes to King Ahaz and he's like, hey man, this is what God says. If you believe in me, Israel and Syria here, they're going to be gone in about 60 years. You're not going to have any problems, but you have to have faith in me. If you don't believe in me, it's not going to happen. They're going to be a thorn in your side. Well, Ahaz, he just doesn't do anything. Isaiah comes to him a second time. And he's like, God says, Ahaz, ask any sign from me and I will perform it for you. God is basically saying, I know you don't believe in me. Ask me to do anything that will make you believe in me and I'll do it. And Ahaz is like, no, I don't want to test God like that. So God kind of gets, you know, in my, in my opinion, kind of mad at him. And this is what he says in Isaiah 7, 13. 13. He says, all right, then the Lord himself will come and give you a sign. Look. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I think that God is just looking down and seeing all these innocent little babies that he's killed. And God's saying that there's going to come a baby through your line one day that people are going to try to kill, but nobody's going to be able to touch him. They'll try to kill him when he's a kid. I'll send him to Egypt. They'll try to, the devil will try to get rid of him in the desert. They'll even try to crucify him on a cross. But I promise you, the only fire that this guy will go through is when he's going through hell on the way to kick the devil in the butt to get the keys of death, hell, and the grave away from him on his way to rising three days later. Yeah. And that's Jesus Christ. That's who we're talking about today. And the most amazing thing about that is, is in the midst of, of gross infanticide, of the most hedonistic debauchery that a person could be involved with, God has still got a plan. Yeah. He's working it out. 
and there, there is nothing that is going to thwart God from His will being done on the earth or in your life. That's good. That's good. Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. When I think about the story of the birth of Jesus, if I'm real honest with you for a minute, I sometimes can overlook Joseph. There's all of these other things going on. Imagine like the headliner of the story is teen mom gets pregnant, claims baby is God's. Like that takes a lot of the the precedence of what's talked about. And I can sometimes overlook Joseph in this story. But imagine Joseph, what must have been going through his mind when this is all happening? Mary, the woman that he is going to marry, comes to him and says, hey, I'm pregnant, and the baby, it's from God. What? (laughs) But Joseph believes her. Joseph trusts her. See, in that day, they lived under the Mosaic law, and under that law, he had every right, he had every authority to go to the authorities and say, hey, my soon-to-be wife is pregnant, and the baby is not mine. And you know what they would have done? They would have taken her in the streets. They would have stoned her to death. He had every right to do that. He had every right to go and to get a divorce of this woman, to to wash his hands clean of this situation, to walk away because he knows that there's going to be a lot of whispers behind their back for the rest of their life of what really happened. How's the baby not yours, Joseph? See, an angel appeared to Mary, an angel appeared to Joseph. But you've got to think that Joseph's probably sitting there believing with all of his heart that God has done what he has been told God has done. But you still got to think that everybody else around you in your life, they're going to be whispering. What really happened? Like they're saying it was God, but like that doesn't even make sense. How could that be? And Joseph had to contemplate in that moment, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with these whispers, with these rumors. I love that, that all through the lineage of Jesus laid out in Matthew chapter 1 is messy in a situation after messy situation. But I love that God uses one of the biggest scandals in the Bible as the moment to bring his son into this world. It wasn't in perfect situation. It wasn't through a married couple with a white picket fence and a white dog lab. Like it wasn't the perfect setting on the street corner. It was in a scandal. It was in a mess. It was with a mother who was a teen mom, probably scared out of her mind. It was a father who was a common day carpenter contemplating divorce. Contemplating maybe having her even killed. These are the people. This is the moment. This is the situation. This is the mess. This is the scandal. That God said, I'm going to use that situation. I'm going to use those thoughts. That line of actions. That's where I'm going to place my son. Into the story of love and redemption for all of mankind. You know, if you are around a group of people 
for any amount of time. You know, it doesn't matter if you have kids or if you don't. It doesn't matter if you're married or if you don't. If you are, if you are doing life with a group of people, whether you're related or not, you're going to come into a lot of messy situations. Yeah. There are going to be times where you're going to fight amongst yourselves. There are going to be conflicts. They're going to need resolving. It's not an easy thing. You know, and a lot of times it'll make you want to quit on a certain person. You know, I think that we, we've all been there from time to time. But when I take a look at this, the genealogy of Jesus, and you see how God has from the very beginning been in a purposeful mission of redeeming mankind back to himself and seeing all that culminate in the advent of Jesus Christ on the earth, the way that he came, the situation he came into, it is life-changing. It's yeah. no short of amazing. Yeah. You know, in Jesus' day, a genealogy was a lot like a resume. It was how a person showed the world their worth. And so back then, like today, resumes were fudged to include the best parts about a person and omit the really bad details. They were crafted to make everyone think, wow, this guy just has awesome in his blood. And yet here in Matthew chapter 1, they lay out every little nasty detail and say, this is Jesus. This is his family. This is how God is going to bring redemption and love and forgiveness and salvation to this world through a bunch of nasty, messed up people. And you know why I love that with everything in me? Because I'm a nasty, messed up person. Whether you want to admit it or not, you're a pretty nasty, messed up person nasty, messed up families. You got stepsisters, stepbrothers, stepparents, stepaunts, stepuncles, half-cousins, half-brothers, grandparents that you're not even related to because parents got remarried and then divorced, but you still love those grandparents because they were grandparents for three years. I get it. Family's messy. One of the things you spend more time working on is your holiday calendar of how you can make sure you see all the different sides of the family without their paths crossing and arguments taking place in the driveway. I get it. It is a work of art that you're already working on and stressing over. Because family's messy. It can get ugly. You got family members you don't talk to. There's been fights in your driveway. I get it. But here's what I want you to know. Here's what we want you to know. There's a story in Scripture that took place over thousands of years of a family tree with a bunch of messed up people that led to the most incredible event that took place in the history of the world the most incredible person that's ever lived on the face of this planet. And here's what we want you to know today. If God can use a bunch of messed up people in the Old Testament to bring in the Savior of this world, if God can use a scandal 
of a teen mom and a contemplating divorced dad to bring the Savior of the world into the world, He can use you. Your family isn't too messed up for God to use you. The situations you found yourself in are not too messed up for God to use you. You haven't gone too far. You haven't crossed that line where God says, nope, you're out. Family's messy. Life is messy. But we want you to know there's a God who loves you, a Savior who died for you, to cover up all of that mess. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for this story in Scripture. God, Matthew chapter 1, when you open it up and you start reading, you're like, oh my gosh, it's just a list of names. I'll skip this. But God, I thank you that it's there. I thank you that Matthew put this in to show us you're not going to believe what took place. God, that it's there so that I can look, so that the people of this church can look, can say, family is messy, but God can use a mess. So God, I pray for the people in this room that have messy families. God, I pray that you would be re- bring resolution to conflict, that you would bring, bring peace to fear, that you would be the God of love, and healing in those situations. God, I pray that we know, that we believe, that we truly understand as much as our human minds can, that even though we live messy lives with messy families, that God, you have a plan for us. Scripture tells us that you have a plan for our lives, a plan to prosper us and not to harm us, a plan to give us a hope and a future. And God, I thank you for that. God, we love you. We thank you. In your name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.